Chelsea get blown away by City and Spurs get by Leicester. This is the Across Pond podcast where we review and headline everything. I'm butchering this intro. It does not matter though. I am the host of Richard Radio, Richard Radio Jesus, joined by the man with the noggin, Jacob Bullard. Jacob, are you ready? I'm for ready. some reviews and headlines. I'm very ready. The new edition of the show. We got some we can have some cheeky stuff at the end, by the way. Uh, let us begin. Like I said, we are going to review the top six teams in Europe or not in Europe. Europe. In, in all the land. <laughs> Into the Premier League, I apologize. I'm too excited right now. I'm like really hyper, apparently. I have extra energy right now. I don't know why. Sorry. But anyways, like I said, top six Premier League teams reviews. Plus, we're going to throw in Wolves versus Newcastle because we couldn't fit it into the match reports. Let us begin, sir. Let's do it. All right. But before we do that, like the video, subscribe to the iTunes podcast and YouTube channel. All right. We are going to review... Manchester United versus Fulham. Manchester United won 3-0 while possessing the ball 51% to Fulham's 49. 15 shots with 7 on goal. 15 shots and 3 on target for Fulham. Jacob, what else could have Fulham done to do anything in this game, I guess? Um, I think they really needed to try to get grips on, on Pogba. Pogba was just tearing them apart like being that key, you know, putting that key pass through out of the midfield. Um, obviously, he got two goals himself in this game, one of which was a penalty, obviously. But yeah, mean? they weren't doing enough to counteract what United was doing in the midfield. I think that they did create chances going forward, and they had, you know, it was basically a 50-50 possession. You said, what, 51-49 mm. on the possession? United, obviously, were doing were just more... Obviously, they have a better class of player, but they are much more dynamic through midfield. And so that allowed them to just take their chances where Fulham um, didn't have quite as many shots on target for the same number of shots that they generated and just weren't able to do as much with the ball. Mm. I think Pogba was really the difference in this game. Yes. Uh, Another thing, too, like I said, the possession, uh, like I said in the match report, I think was the reason why they lost this game. United allowed them, especially in the first 10, 20 minutes, Fulham to do what they were trying to do in a way. Didn't get anything going really. They had like uh, the Vero chance, nothing came of it. Like, but I think another thing that Fulham didn't do enough was be completely physical with United. I think Mitrovic was a guy that kind of was a thorn, not just for the backline, but also for De Gea because he had a bump with De Gea in this game as well. And like I said, they didn't have any answer for Pogba in this game, and that was like the biggest thing, like you said. And they also United, I think another thing that they did was neutralize. Fulham's big players like Babel, Sherry, and Mitrovic, they didn't really perform. I mean, they haven't really done perform this year as much, but they really didn't allow them to create chances or expose their back line as much as they usually do, I would say. Uh, it seems like they didn't really have an answer at all offensively. Fulham, like I said, attacked, like I said, uh, mostly on the right in this game, which kind of makes sense because they had Schurler, they're probably the best guy going forward. Uh, 40% of the time. I guess Shaw was just the guy that was... They they have enough on that side to absorb him. So they didn't really... He's not like a guy that's going to change completely change the game. He's not that caliber of player. If he was ever... At, I think it, when he has good support, he's can be at a higher level. Also, I think it was, was a big thing that I liked about Fulham, though, in this game. John Michael Seri, where I noticed where he was switching the ball a lot of the time and trying to create just something out of nothing in a way, from the midfield. I thought he 
going forward is going to be a guy, hopefully another Premier League team picks up when they go down because this is a team I think is going to go down. Uh, I think he offers a lot more, but he's more or less kind of like the silent guy, like Lucas Torreira or somewhat of Fabinho in a way. Like he just he's just there, makes good plays, kind of doesn't get enough credit, but like he's not trying to get that credit in a way. He's just trying to change up the game, kind of mix it up. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Fulham, like I said, going forward, needs to have those players be more uh, influential. And then also their back line, or in general, defense needs to have an answer to a player like Pogba. What is the next game? It's Huddersfield Town versus Arsenal. 2-1 for Arsenal. With 55% possession going to Huddersfield Town, 45 to Arsenal. 15 shots with six on goal for Huddersfield Town. Nine shots with four on target for the Gunners. Jacob, why wasn't this more of a comfortable win for Arsenal? Um, well, obviously, uh, I mean, Arsenal, almost all the way across the field, had a series of lackluster performances. I think aside from Koscielny uh, in the back line, they didn't get a lot of help there. There wasn't a lot of organization. They, I think if not for the somewhat early goal that I will be scored, I think it was like the 15th or 16th minute, 16th minute, this could have been a much more difficult game for Arsenal. They just really couldn't get going. They did convert a couple of their few chances but in the you know looking at the stats anyway Huddersfield dominated in almost all aspects of this game which is a little bit surprising Um, obviously they had the bulk of the possession they had the bulk of the chances Um, they just the difference really is just the caliber of squad where like Arsenal were able to take their they only generated a few chances but were able to take a couple of them and Huddersfield basically a, a day of near misses like I said Heimer, I don't know what he was doing on. I think even when I Awobi scored that goal, he was like, "Oh, that went in. Okay, I'll take it." Because just the way he didn't parry it out, let that basically his weak hands. Unfortunately, weakest, I guess. Mkhitaryan though, going forward, I think is a guy that actually benefited. Like Arsenal really benefited off of him coming back just in this game. Like I think this was his first game back period, where compared to Ramsey and Ozil. Like he's not obviously they're, they're certain they have certain abilities that they're each are better at, but he's just have a, has a good way of just like finding lanes and like also getting out of the way and like creating opportunities for his teammates, but also finding space to where it just makes sense. I guess I don't know how to else explain that. He's just a guy that just knows where to go like naturally. Ramsey at times is a little just sluggish and sometimes isn't there all the time, uh, and then Ozil just. I don't know. It doesn't feel like he's even on this team, but I think him going forward, I think Arsenal have something going forward with him and they're able to give some service to their strikers and their wingers. Shout out to Jonathan Hogg. Like I said, uh, in the pre or match report, he had five tackles, five interceptions, uh, very influential as well with 96 touches a guy. That's been somewhat of a, he's not really a rock, I guess. He's just like a small, like a little, you know, when you're walking on the sidewalk and there's a little hump, Sometimes you trip on it. He's like kind of like that for this team, I guess. All right, interesting analogy, but okay. Because like sometimes like you don't know, you don't really notice it, and like you're like, oh wow, I almost slipped. Uh, Puchin or Punchin and uh, Moy again. They need to find that balance. Uh, I think the best player for this team uh, for Arsenal was Gunduzi again. But yeah, it, it, just, it was a really surprising to see how we've seen other top six sides recently play against Huddersfield Town, and you see Ar- this Arsenal side and. They didn't seem like even like top six at all in this game, that which was like really scary. I'm really concerned for Arsenal at the moment. I would be just because like out of the injuries and stuff and who's going to score goals. Aubameyang was hurt for this game. 
So it's like, how is Emery going to answer to like all those questions? How is he going to be able to fill those positions or maybe has to change his style of game with the, the personnel change? All right, Liverpool versus Bournemouth, a 3-0 victory for Liverpool. 66% possession to Liverpool, 33 or 34 to Bournemouth, 20 shots with nine on goal for Liverpool, 12 shots with two on target for the Cherries. Ooh, the Cherries. Jacob, the nickname. Jacob, with this win, are Liverpool back on track to being in good form? I suppose it was definitely their best performance out of their last uh, at least probably four. Yeah, the two draws. With like the two draws and then the win against Palace, where Palace kind of gave them a game again, uh, as they did earlier in the season. So yes, and that's it is. They definitely dominated this game a little bit more like we are used to seeing. Um, I think having Giorgio Wijnaldum uh, back in the midfield really helped them out. And yeah, it was um, a little bit more of a typical Liverpool performance. I was disappointed that Bournemouth weren't able to generate too many dangerous opportunities on the counterattack um, with how much Liverpool were pressing them and the amount of possession that they had and such, um, only generating the two shots on target. I was hopeful that Bournemouth would be able to put up a little bit more of a fight, but it's not how it ended up playing out. Yeah, they even added an extra uh, defensive midfielder on their side and had no answer, really. Uh, another big thing, too, Nathaniel Klein wasn't in the lineup because obviously you can't play against his home club. I think um, that's kind of a dumb rule. It is, but it is what it is. You can't really do anything about it. Another thing is, like, there were zero counterattacks in general for Bournemouth. So a lot of the stuff had to been just from them in possession and trying to slowly build it up, which I don't think they were able to do at all, obviously. But another thing, too, like, uh, we went through our uh, previews is, like, Brooks and Wilson out of this lineup. It just seems like Eddie Howe doesn't have depth going forward, unfortunately. And maybe that's also, again, with not having those players in, like, the same kind of rhythm as the, the guys that are missing or not being able to play as much. That might be an issue as well. But, again, like, I it's a useless signing for them. And then Solonki, maybe give him a couple more games, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I just – it didn't seem promising, I guess, in a way. But another good thing for Liverpool, though, uh, by the – I think the 70th or 60th minute, they subbed on Alexander-Arnold. He's coming back from injury, obviously. So I think that's a good thing for them going forward because it also allows James Milner to come back into the lineup in the midfield. Yeah, it should be uh, old, back to their old ways of not having to play players out of their position. Leicester City versus Tottenham, where Tottenham won 3-1. Jacob, if Vardy makes that penalty... Do you think the result would have changed a little? Um, yes, but I also well we'll get we'll get into it later. But yes, I do think it definitely would have changed the game. I think that was a pivotal moment. I think that I've been largely underwhelmed with Leicester this season. Um, I know they're missing a couple of key people. Obviously, they aren't with the squad anymore. But I do feel like they are underperforming in general. People like James Madison and such have kind of gone quiet over the last couple months compared to uh, the brighter start that they had at the beginning of the season. And Spurs uh, are kind of, while they're missing their big stars, riding Heung-Min Sun, his vein of form right now to uh, grinding out some results. So it's been a, a good period for them, especially considering who they're missing. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy to see... Actually, I've, I give Pochettino some prop or some points before how he's been able to put Son in that role who has played a number nine before 
for Hamburg and for, I forgot the other club we used to play, uh, Leverkusen. So he's has that experience in those kind of positions. What was missing in this game was probably just a moment where just there's a mistake for Tottenham, but there wasn't, I guess. Like they've played, they played discipline enough to obviously get the results. I think they only gave up, what, how did the, um, the goal was from a set piece, right? Mm-hmm. And it was all uh, Amari Gray. So like that, like that's your weakness, and that's the only way you're giving up goals against a team like this. I think that's a decent. You, you're you're moving forward, and you're able to have like a professional performance from your backline and your defensive midfielders. Within by the end of the month, you're gonna have Harry Kane come back. So I think going forward for them, they've done a great job since Daly Alley and and Kane have been gone, and this was a great performance for them. All right, we are going to go. Is it? What, what, how would you headline this game? What's the headline for this game for you? Men against boys. Men. Oh, hey, that's what I said on the match. Do you watch that? I did watch. Oh, yeah. all right. So we got Manchester City versus Chelsea. Six nil victory for Manchester City. Fifty six percent possession to City. Forty something to Chelsea. I forgot to write the other number for apparently. Uh, Fifteen shots with nine on goal for City. Four, 12 shots with four on target for Chelsea. Jacob, this is like a thing for you always. A thing for me? Yes. I know what you're going to say, and I'm going to I'm gonna continue feeding that uh, stereotype. <laughs> Did Manchester City play good enough for you? No. <laughs> I, like this 6-0 game, like they did not. Manchester City were 100% the better team in all categories. However... They were in no world 6-0 better. Like, a lot of things went our way that could, like, this game could have easily been, like, 2-1. to one. Like, the game played out exactly the way it played out and been, like, a 2-1. Uh, Ederson actually came up with a couple of really big saves. Pedro was through one-on-one um, against him, and then there was his save on Higuain's, like, chested volley that he did. Kind of the only time we saw Higuain as well do anything. Well, Higuain was so isolated the yeah. whole game. It was... I. I think that because like if you look if you run through the city goals I'll do, I'll go through this real quick the first goal the cross was deflected that ended up at Sterling's feet so like that's like and then Aguero made up for the he missed like I don't think I've ever seen Aguero miss like that before uh, missed a really bad one but the one that he scored to make up for it was from 25 yards and you can't always count on that Gundogan scored on a first time finish from outside the box that was a which you're ball. never gonna come like you can't count on that and there was a penalty so like easily like four of the goals could have been. Could not, have not could have not happened. happened. Yeah, right. So like City were just remarkably clinical and much more clinical than even a team like City normally are. Um, on the Chelsea side and why I think City that I wasn't so happy with the City performance is that Chelsea were dangerous every time, especially Hazard came down the field. Like no one wanted to touch Eden Hazard when he was coming in off the left. There was they had a series of near misses with through balls to Higuain and Hazard. I think that their game fell apart in the midfield. A lot of times when Chelsea were pressing, Conte was the one highest up. And like if you were gonna if you give me the option, like do you, obviously we've been complaining about how Sarri has been using uh, N'Golo Conte and like basically using Jorginho in what should be Conte's role and then pushing Conte forward. And Conte, a few times, many, many times in this game, ended up being like he was the first line of press that they had against our back line. And like, if you, if you give me the option of putting Conte anywhere as his opponent, like I would want him up top, especially a team like City that can pass out of the back so efficiently. 
Like if we get the ball in the midfield and you have Jorginho left behind basically as the only one left in midfield, then you have like De Bruyne, Fernandinho, and Gundogan. Gundogan had a great game um, with all this space and Conte so far up the field. Like I would love to have Conte like chasing center backs the whole game. Like that's where I would want him because he's not in the midfield when we get there. So that's what I didn't understand really the the what Sorry thought what he was going to gain out of that because basically they were just they were constantly short in midfield. And then that we were able to create overloads on the right and the left. Alonzo cannot play left back in a four four man back. I think we've guaranteed that now after this game. But yeah, it was Yeah, I don't I don't know what they would have an answer or how they would structure the team. Because we're gonna talk about sorry in our headlines. Alonzo just he hasn't obviously been in his form of like the last couple of years because of like obviously the change of like i said a four-man back three-man back obviously benefits doesn't have to have as much defensive duties as it usually does but that first goal was just i saw him going i was like what are you what are you doing you know you're a left back right <laughs> like you know what i mean like he made ashley young look good <laughs> which is like what is happening it makes no sense chelsea i think what made it worse is obviously the goals and i think that's why the game became or got out of hand because they're just like oh and the back pass too so five of the goals could have i forgot about the back pass mm. aguero's second goal was that terrible back header from yeah. ross barkley was it ross barkley yeah barkley yeah yeah so, so like five of those goals could easily not happen yeah but regardless like it just seems like they were just like why are we even here yeah i don't know what chelsea can do because they just brought in a great uh striker and higuain just totally had one chance this game basically one thing I really didn't notice until I saw the stats was Laporte and Stones had the most passes on cities. Obviously, that's how, you know, it would make sense because Pep likes passing around the back. But, like, how efficient they are in long balls. Uh, Laporte had 13 long balls and had eight that were that hit from Stones as well, but with six that hit. The efficiency and accuracy in that shows how much those guys have progressed as well in the system. Yeah. And more and more just saying, like, these guys, if they continue to play like this – to continue to like lock down teams, it's gonna be they're gonna be a team that you'll see at the end, I guess, or in a couple years now, I guess, or when they ever you move on from like this back line, you're, people are gonna remember this back line as or them to the pairing. I don't, th- I don't think that it's even reached its peak. I think that yeah. this back line, once we have a left back, then we'll see like the true. I'm just talking about the pairing. Like, yeah, 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 the center back pairing, yeah, for sure. I think that Stones, I think the passing like you're talking about is something that he's learned since Pep. I think that because Stones was a a Pellegrini purchase. Laporte, I think, was specifically recruited, one, because he was left-footed, and two, his ability to pass, Mm -hmm. because that was something that he was known for already at Bilbao uh, prior to his time at City. Yeah, another thing, too, Jorginho, statistically, two tackles, two interceptions, only one key pass. He so, was just by himself. I think he yeah. I think he got a little bit of a bad rap in this game because the way Sari set up, like there was no one left in midfield. Like Barkley and Conte were pushing forward even higher than he going in hazard at times and leaving just Jorginho back mm-hmm. to deal with De Bruyne and Fernandinho and Gundogan. So yeah, the gist of it, like how we started it, it was man versus boys in that game. Let's us move on to the last game we were going to view. It was the Monday game. It was Wolves versus Newcastle United. It was a 1-1 draw. Uh, 60% possession going to Wolves, 40 to Newcastle, 26 or 22 shots with six on goal, nine shots with three on target for Newcastle. Jacob, what was Wolves missing in this game? I don't know. I think in this particular case, it's a little hard to put, put my finger on it. It just kind of seemed like they were... F- a little bit flat all the way around. Obviously, they had 22 shots, but no like really, really, really clear and obvious um, opportunities. 
I don't think that uh, Jimenez and Yoda or Joda or whatever played up to their recent standard. So maybe they were lacking a little bit there because they obviously were able to to move through the midfield fairly well with, you know, obviously Ruben Neves and Dedonker moving forward and Ja Mourinho and players like that. They have the midfield to play that style. It just wasn't really connecting in the final third. A lot of their shots were from disadvantageous angles and distances and such. And they were just really grinding for that result. And were it not for uh, uh, Boley at like the very end there, uh, would have ended up again dropping points to a team that they should be beating comfortably. Obviously, the reason why probably... Newcastle didn't walk away with 30 points. Dubravka should have just tried to knock it out and should have tried to catch it and whiffed on the catch as well. Wolves just weren't finishing at all. And that was another thing that I saw. They had actually zero counterattacks in this game. So they could not play like the usual style that they like. Also had 16 key passes that resulted into one. Oh, I don't even think even they counted one of those key passes as the goal. Okay. Which was like insane. Shout out to Isaac Hayden. I thought I had a decent game. Two key passes, which one I think led to the goal for Newcastle. And then Montinho and Neves have, not, I mean, obviously they didn't win this game, but I think they've, that midfield has a good balance because of the way Neves can kind of hold the ball up and then kind of read and then put the ball somewhere where it needs to go or to take the, his, the shot himself. And then Montinho playing defensively, but also can play the long ball. I think they've had a great year and a great... That's just like one of the best combinations in the Premier League right now. And I think it's, it's somehow they make it work. And it's it's been brilliant for them. Yeah, surprisingly, like when you when you saw Newcastle trying to clear out the ball as well, it just didn't seem like it was... I don't know. It didn't seem good. And when I was looking at the stats, they had 30 of 30 clearances. And I thought they had a couple where it was just played out not right, I guess, in a way. So it didn't seem accurate i guess from what i saw on the pitch okay to like when i saw statistically which was like surprising the gist of it wolves just need to make those key passes and big chances into getting it in the back of the net all right jacob we are done with the review we are going to get into jacob bowler's epl best 11 for match day 26 27. who is your best 11 for this week all right so i went with a 433 um, I guess I'll start from the back. Tom Heaton in goal. Um, I, I cheated a little bit where I have three center backs and no left back, but Kashoni, Davidson Sanchez, Sol Bamba, and Shane Robertson. Uh, in midfield, I have Pogba, Giorgio Wijnaldum, and Ilkay Gundogan. And up top, I have Hugmanson, Sergio Aguero, obviously, and Chris Wood as my front three. Not necessarily like a wingers and a striker, but we you know whatever. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head to take out Koscielny, but I don't know about Koscielny. That's the only one. I think obviously, like uh, Arsenal did not keep a clean sheet, but I think Arsenal would have been in a much worse position if not for Koscielny playing like out of his mind, especially relative to like his other three defenders. All right, that's a good best eleven. Tell us your best eleven as well in the comments down below. We are going to get into our headlines for this week. Which one do you want to start with? Let's start. Let's start while it's fresh with uh, with Mauricio Sorry, Sorry, uh, you said you wanted to talk about if he should be sacked. Do you mm-hmm. want to go in that direction or do you want to talk about just his tactics or do you want to murph it into one? Uh, probably a little bit of both. Okay, you start. Okay, there's I guess, especially in the, the manner of which that Chelsea lost this game, there have been some people that have been questioning and slash calling for Sorry to be sacked. I think that this is also coming up in the context of his recent post-game interviews where he talked about like not being able to motivate the team and like that this group of guys is really hard to motivate. And the day after this game in Chelsea training, there was rumors of like a big blowout between him and Marcus Alonso. 
that they got into like a shouting match with each other. And it seems like that we could be at a point where he's lost the locker room, almost like how we, we, you know, we've, it seems like with this Chelsea roster, we've inevitably hit this point with every manager that they've had recently, be it like Mourinho at the end of his most recent tenure. And then Antonio Conte. And then now with Mauricio Sarri, I don't know. While I do have a, a huge amount of problems with what Sarri did, we've talked about in the past his, uh, uh, stubbornness in his tactics where he goes with the same 4-3-3, playing Conte out of position, keeping Alonso at left back, stuff like that, and how it's continued to not work. Chelsea are in a position now where like United and Arsenal have caught them. There's a good gap between them and Tottenham, so like the three of those teams are going to be battling for fourth place. And I know that a lot of times the blame gets placed on the manager, and sometimes rightfully so, and I think in this particular case, it, you know, a good portion of that blame deserves to fall on Sorry, But this will now be like if, say, Sorry gets sacked, it'll be the third different manager in four years. And I think that Chelsea need to shift and replace a lot of their players. I actually think it's becoming like a culture problem within the club that you're getting the sorts of performances that we're seeing where they're like maybe the, the team itself is not coachable in the, sen- in the sense of or like in – in comparison to other squads around them because they fall into the same pattern regularly now and it's the same group of players and I don't think you know this team has won three titles two titles three titles one with Conte one with Mourinho they're at a point now where they're not going to win another title with this squad uh, I even agree. if they keep hazard so I think they need and the way that if they continue playing like this like they're not gonna have hazard anyway mm. so I think now is a good time to consider rebuilding and just purge the club of like the bad apples. So uh, so you think they should sack them? I think that they should give... Well, <laughs> I think if I had to pick one, I would say yes. But I think the problem is both. Okay, okay. so my points on this, I'm actually on the side of sorry in the sense of the standard of Chelsea. I think they're probably going to sack him. I think they should keep him because I think he needs to have a couple windows where he's able to bring in players and then get rid of the players, like you said, to get... You know, just they need to move on. The standard of Chelsea football is win now, and that's a big problem because what we've seen with them is you're having these culture or locker room disputes with every manager almost, the last three especially, and it's the same set of guys that are there, and it seems like that's not working, and they need to be able to have some kind of stability and also some kind of consistency who that manager will be if it's sorry's out. I don't know who that's going to be. It can, there's a, probably a whole slew of names uh, that they can list off. But like looking at what he's done so far this year, obviously he's dropped down to six in the league, but he's also going to be in a uh, one cup t- uh, final. He's also made or gotten Chelsea out of the group stages and into the knockout stages for Europa League. And he's still in the FA Cup. If he wins against United, that's another plus. So it's like... He hasn't obviously met expectations in the league, but everything around that has been somewhat successful. And he's been able to not even he's doing it his way, obviously, too. They need to obviously, like you echo what you're saying, get rid of players, move some players in, bring in Pulisic in, even though that didn't even seem like he wanted him. If that made any sense? Yeah. It's like interview. He says, like, they told him, like, oh, like, here's this player. Do you like he's like, oh, yeah, it's a good player. And then next, you know, they sign him. It's like if that's how that works, I don't I if I was sorry, I would want to get sacked, honestly, because <laughs> I, you have no say in who you're signing. Really? You're just saying like, oh, yeah, he seems. Yeah, he seems I like him. 
and then they sign him. It's like they just need to move out of that direction of trying to make the quick buck and move into more of a a sustainable plan going forward. Um, But like I said, I don't think he should be sacked, but I think he's going to be sacked. And yeah, how do do you want to conclude this? I just think that Chelsea need to be very mindful and very careful of how they approach this because their squad is not necessarily in the best position for long-term success. Like you're saying, like they're constantly in like a win now sort of mode. And I think that if they're not careful, they could really collapse if this isn't handled properly. Mm. Alrighty, let us know down in the comments down below of what you think. Should Sorry be sacked? Should he not be sacked? Do you agree with my point where he think he's going to be sacked, but they should keep him, allow him to bring in some players, get rid of some players? Let us know in the comments down below. All right, what is the next headline for this? The Champions! Champions! All right, so Champions League first set of games just took place. Uh, we had Manchester United take on PSG yesterday as of recording. Also, uh, FC Porto versus Roma. And then we had today uh, Bruce Dorman versus Tottenham Hotspurs. And then the other game that was on was Ajax versus Real Madrid. Uh, Real Madrid won 2-1. Uh, Spurs won 3-0. Uh, Roma won 2-1. And PSG, PSG won 2-0. Let's just give like a quick summary. And then we're going to talk about how they should handle the game moving forward, I guess. I think this is the best way to go about it. Okay. I guess I'll start with the first one. I'll start with Roma Porto, I guess. Get that one out of the way. Okay. Probably the weakest of the four ties that we're going to be talking about. I don't always think that the Portuguese teams get the respect that they deserve, um, especially a team like Porto, who's like serially in the, like at least the first round of the knockout stages. But Roma, I was really pleased to see Roma play the way they did. They've been struggling a little bit in Serie A recently. They're, if the season ended now, they would not be, I don't even know if they'd be in Europa League. Actually, I'd have to look at the table again. I think they're sixth right now though. Um, so maybe in like one of those Europa League qualification spots. But yeah, uh, Ed and Dzeko really tore Porto apart in this game and, uh, he had both of the assists for, I'm blanking on the kid's name that scored the brace, but uh, one of their young up-and-coming players. Um, so it was a good performance from Roma. Porto, though, eking in with that away goal, so that definitely leaves the door wide open for them if they have a good performance back in Portugal. The I'll, I'll do United. Uh, Manchester United played PSG, 2-1 victory, like I said, where PSG, I don't want to say got by, but with the set of players, they did a great, they had a great performance. Uh, they exploited United's fullbacks. They allowed... Mbappe to kind of not he wasn't able to do everything he usually does but making those clever runs and the the run that where he scored off of basically what Mbappe is great at his pace and United just didn't have their key players make much of anything out of their chances and then they also had uh, Lingard and Martial have probably strains or pulled muscles and were unfortunately not able to play the full match by the time, I think about 30 minutes after the game started, where PSG kind of just took the steering wheel of this game and uh, got the two-point uh, lead and then going back to PSG, obviously not very good for United. Obviously, And then Pogba also with a red card, so he's not going to be in the next fixture and possibly not have any other two key players as well because of injury, depending on how long they're going to be out, Lingard and Martial. So going to be interesting to see how that goes forward, I guess. So that takes us to 
Um, I guess I'll hit uh, Ajax and Real Madrid. Ajax, a team that performed really, really well, better than most people expected, I think, in the group stages. They had Bayern Munich in the group. The The last game of that group was spectacular. I think it was a 4-3 Bayern win, if I remember correctly, or maybe it was a 3-3 draw, but a huge shootout that they had there. Some momentum for Ajax heading into this game at home against Real Madrid. It didn't really pan out the way that they would be hoping for. Uh, Real Madrid won their game 2 to one uh, Benzema getting on the score sheet for what feels like the first time in a while although I guess I haven't been play- paying like really close attention to um, Real Madrid uh, I think it was Asensio with the second goal yes and then I have no clue who scored for Ajax do you remember I don't know how to pronounce that name <laughs> all right well Mr. We don't know how to pronounce scored for uh, Ajax uh, it was the second Real Madrid goal came really late so Ajax were really close to getting to getting out there um, with a 1-1 draw but it's going to be really tough for them a really tough mountain for them to climb, like with Real Madrid having the two away goals and the win. Um, it's going to be difficult for them on their return journey. Okay. Uh, next game was the game we watched as well was Bruce Dortmund versus Tottenham Hotspurs, where we saw Spurs basically put down Bruce Dortmund 3-0. A game where, like again with the United game, where Dortmund was knocking on the door basically for the first 20 25 minutes and then eventually spurs just took the wheel had a goal right up right after the yeah within the first few minutes yeah of first mu- few first few minutes of half humans unscored uh and then a, another goal assist oh that, that goal was assisted by vertongan the second goal was uh under lorente that scored off of a header and then the last goal again was Human Son, right? Uh, Son, Vertongen, and Urente. And Urente was the third one. So another game where Spurs basically took the wheel and kind of put PSG, oh, not PSG, uh, Dortmund, not in their place, but kind of un- in a f- unfortunate circumstances because the way the second draw is going to happen. I'm a little disappointed in Bruce Dortmund because this is like a good time to play Spurs, even though they're getting by in the league. But, you know, okay, now we're playing elite teams in Europe. How are they going to fare against them? They don't have Harry Kane. They don't have Dele Alli. Did, just didn't unfortunately perform. Yeah. Uh, so going into, like, a preview, what are these teams? Like, how, how are we going to see these fixtures happen? And who do you think is going to be able to get out? Or And then also, who's, who's going to be the surprise, you think, out of these that are going, that are behind, that can have a, the best chance of getting through? I guess, are we going to go in order here? Yeah. Okay. So for the Roma-Porto game, um, I think it would be no surprise if Porto were to be the... I think this one is, of the of the three ties, this one is the most wide open, I would say, because I think Porto obviously are a good team. Roma have shown their vulnerabilities throughout the season, especially in the league, although they were good on this particular occasion. And they were a, a Champions League semifinalist last year. But that away goal... Uh, and the way they conceded it, too, where it was like a, a botched shot that like popped up in the air and fell like perfectly in the box to like a Porto guy. Like it really unlucky for Roma, but that away goal is going to keep that door wide open for Porto. So I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, are able to pull through this. It's going to be a really tight game, hopefully a good game uh, back in Portugal. It seems like when you have games that go back to Portugal, they have some kind of just home field edge. Yeah. Whether it's Benfica or them or Sporting Lisbon. So I think and Porto need to, um, what they'll hopefully learn from their game against Roma if they're going to go through is they're going to need to control Dzeko somehow mm-hmm. uh, because he was obviously he's a very physical presence for Roma and someone who has a lot of experience at this level with Wolfsburg and with City obviously so they're going to need to find some way of 
keeping him quiet because Roma really didn't have a whole lot going forward outside of Njeko. He was really the one creating everything for them uh, in that first leg. Uh, Manchester United versus PSG. No, you can take the lead. Oh, okay. Still me? You don't have... Oh, are we both going... Are we feeding back and forth off each other here? Okay, yeah. sorry. I thought we were going to like do the same games that we did the cover job. Oh, you're doing a good job. Okay. Uh, Manchester United, PSG. <laughs> what do United need to do for P- to get past PSG in this game? They need PSG to have about six injuries. Without, I think if Pog... Honestly, if Pogma wasn't red carded, I would think they would still have a chance because I don't trust PSG with the players that they were missing to have another performance like they did. I think PSG played really well on the night, but... The two away, like obviously PSG have uh, the two away goals. United are going to need to blow them out to get through this game because I think once they'll need three. Yeah, they'll, you'll need to score at least three um, or two two in like and go to penalties. Yeah, going. I think United are going to have to play a different style if like we are not going to have the same guys being able to press. So I don't know what Shokesar is going to do or what he has in his back pocket because it's probably going to be. The Rashford on the left, Lukaku, and then Matt on the right, I guess. I would like to see Chung to give an opportunity for this because he's going to be able, he has a pace. He's going to be able to press like we usually do. He's going to add that element. But we're probably going to see Mata, unfortunately. Um, but we also might see a 4 3 1 2. Might have Mata play number 10 or number 8, wherever, wherever you want to call it. I think. That is probably what we're going to see. We're not going to have a replacement for Pago, obviously. So it's probably going to be Fred or uh, Pereira. So yeah. I don't know what's that going to be or what's going to look like. It's not looking good. I obviously want United to win. I'm looking at the league. I'm looking at the FA Cup. It just seems like this is already out of our grasp. But who knows what's going to happen? Yeah, this is the sort of game where United need to just try something completely <clears throat> different. Like a, maybe a three at the back, maybe a, I know it's that's sort of tough with someone like Mbappe who's just so fast. Like you need to have men back there to to like help mark him. But at this point, they really don't have anything to lose by like trying something drastic to try to get a result out of this game. Uh, so that takes us to Ajax uh, and Real Madrid. Again, we're talking about the two wiggles for Real Madrid in this game. Um, is really going to be a problem, I think, for Ajax. Um, I think you asked like which team would be like a surprise comeback. I think only well, I mean the next one being a three nil gap. I think that's going to be really hard for Dortmund. But Ajax, I think, have the best chance of getting through of the teams that are down right now. And I think that as far as like the stature of both of these clubs, I think that would be kind of a surprise, but not really a surprise given the way that uh, Real Madrid have played at times where they've been really really poor this season. I think that I could. I could 100% see a possibility of an Ajax getting like a 2-0 win even in uh, Madrid. Obviously, they're going to need a lot of things to go their way. But Real Madrid has shown a capability this year of just like switching off. Um, So like they're going to need to, I think, limit. If you you leave Benzema isolated enough, although he did score in the first leg, I think they can get away with that if they're really able to tie Asensio, um, Vinicius Jr., and uh, bail down, like going down the wings. And then, yeah, they're going to need to defend for their lives because... Obviously, the more uh, Real Madrid, I guess they get through with the three. I uh, know three one, well, three one. Yeah, they would get through. Obviously, they would need a two one to go to penalties. But yeah, I think it's definitely possible for uh, IX to get through. Yeah, they. I've I have a lot of faith in them. Um, I don't know why. They just seem like they have got, come a long way. I know. I know a lot of those players on their team that made that European or Europa League run aren't on the team, but they still have some of those players there that have really matured. And 
this is their last year, really, probably going to be all together with Delit and Frankie de Jong. So it's, you know, this is it kind of moment. I feel like they're going to make it a game. That's the one that's going to be the one to pay attention to out of all the four that we talked about where you might see one team make the best out of their chances, I guess. Yeah. I mean, then I guess quickly the PSG Dorman game really disappointed that Dorman basically threw this tie Spurs. away in the first. You said PSG. Oh, do I? Yeah, oh, that's okay. because of my next point. I was already, I was thinking I got ahead of myself in my head, I guess. Yeah. Spurs versus Dorman really disappointed that Dorman threw this away. Um, but this is a very, it was basically like a, a slightly lesser scale version of the PSG United game where like PSG were missing. Everyone is quite, you know, with uh, Neymar and Cavani out like, oh, what's PSG going to do? And like, the, like giving that edge to United because of those people missing. Same thing with this uh, Spurs Dorman game. Where it's like no Harry Kane, no Deli Alli. Uh, like how are Spurs possibly going to compete with Dortmund? And like they ended up blowing Dorman out of the water. And then by the time the next, the second leg comes around, like some of those guys could be back. So Dortmund missed a huge opportunity here. I really think that 3-0 is just going to be too much of a mountain to climb um, for them back in Dortmund. They need to stop the the crosses as best they can if they're going to uh, get anything done here because I think they're, and in general, just throughout, especially the second half of this game, I think the youth of their squad really showed here and the inexperience that they have as a team. A lot of guys in their like first or second season of the Champions League, so going to be really tough to come back from that 3-0. Yeah, this is the one that we probably, I, I would say them and the, the United game and versus PSG are just like kind of, that's if the team that won that game is probably going to get through. They would just have like a game where it was like the Barcelona PSG game where like Barcelona put like five or six on them, I guess, to go through that kind of performance. I don't see that happening, unfortunately. Yeah. Tottenham are playing professional right now. And they're getting results. They're not really grinding, I wouldn't say, but they're getting the job done. And that's what's been the real oppressive part, I guess. At most, Dortmund getting like two a two goal lead in this, and then that's pretty much they won't be able to. Yeah, I think the far. thing uh, if if Dortmund had got one uh, at Wembley, then I would have a little bit more. Obviously, I would have a little bit more faith in them. But if if they can't keep a clean sheet against Spurs, they need five. And like I don't see Spurs. I don't see Spurs giving up five. And they'll probably by that point have one of Harry Kane or Deli Alli back um, to some extent. Or, I mean, honestly, the way that the first leg panned out, they might, they probably don't even need them. Like, put out a squad, defend, maybe nick a goal. If they nick a goal, like I said, Darwin need five because of the away goals rule, obviously. So it's going to be quite the mountain to climb for them. Yes, that is a huge mountain. So that is it for our headlines for this week. We are going to get into the last part and then get it the hell out of here. We got the chips of the week where we're going to chip a goalkeeper. Jacob, who do you have two this week or do you have one? I have two. I actually had four. I actually thought I have four written down. One of them we kind of already talked about. The One of them I decided only to two. Skip, You can only I do two. two. No, I narrowed it okay. down. I narrowed All right, it down. So who are the two you chipping? I guess I don't understand your analogy there, but I'm chipping. Uh, Who's the keeper that you're chipping? The keepers. We're going to make them look bad. So okay. That's the idea of this. Ashley Young is the first one. Not only is Ashley Young a trash right back, but the dude shoved Angel Di Maria very like, you know, don't get me wrong. He 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 hit it well. Don't try to tell me that he didn't know exactly what he was doing when he pushed Deli Ali down that line. And I've never understood. I guess it's like a drainage thing for like water when it rains or something. The slope 
it, it always seemed like that would be really dangerous to like have the field slope like that so soon at the after like you cross the line the the touch line. Yeah. But in any case, uh, Deli Ali should be, not Deli Ali. Why did I just say Deli Ali? Ashley Young should be thrown in prison for that push okay. on unhealthy Maria because he literally could have like seriously hurt him. He knew what he was doing. It was mm-hmm. dirty. It was a dirty play. Okay. It was Which worse than like a high tackle. In my opinion, my other one. Who's the manager of Leicester these days? Claude Puel. Claude Puel. I understand that Jamie Vardy is your striker. He's your dude. But if he's on the bench, and y'all get a penalty, why are you subbing on Deli? Why do I keep saying Deli Ali? I don't understand. Why is Deli Ali in my head? Why are you subbing on Jamie Vardy? Dick picks to come take a penalty. He's gonna come on basically cold, and like. Apparently, you have no faith in anyone else on the field except for Jamie Vardy, who you're going to bring in off the bench to try to take the worst penalty of his life and cost yourself potentially the game against Spurs because that game could have gone totally differently if you'd have just let someone who was in the flow of the game. I'm sure James Madison would have been willing to take that penalty uh, or maybe Gray or I don't know. literally anyone else and then except like disrespecting your entire 11 on the field and subbing someone on to take a penalty get out okay those are my two my two chips uh one is uh dubravka who blew the game for newcastle you have catch the ball son that's all or not catch the ball get the ball out of the box like just put it out of play do something not what you did bad no good bad come on newcastle loves you make them love you more uh second chip Oh, that, or the second keeper I'm going to chip. Sorry, not shaking Pep's hand at the end of that game. Mm, That's mm. some BS. Sorry, no disrespect. I talked about this in the match re- or weekend match report. Have some respect, dude. I don't care about what happened to your team. Have some respect. That's all it is. Shake the man's hand. You lost. Have some pride. Walk away. That Boom. has been it. That has been it for review and headlines for this week. I have been the host, Richard Radio, joined by the man with the noggin. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our iTunes podcast and YouTube channel. Also, give us all the love, likes, and five-star reviews as well. That has been it. Like I said, we shall see you guys later. Also, leave some comments down below what you thought of all this stuff. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye.